T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. He has the distinction of being the only current gubernatorial candidate not from the Chicago area. And at a time when school funding is making headlines statewide, he is on the front lines. But Bob Diber is still not a very familiar name in political circles. He's working on that. And in this half hour, you will get to know him. Hello, I'm political editor Craig Delamore, and this is At Issue. My guest this week is Robert Diver. He is a Democratic candidate for governor, one of several running in the primary race right now. Mr. Diver is the regional superintendent of schools in downstate Madison County. He has also been president of the statewide Association of Regional Superintendents. Uh, as an educator, he has been a career and technical teacher. He also has a background in regional planning for residential and business development. He has also served constituents at the city, township, and county levels of government. He lives in Marine, Illinois, with his wife and two sons, and he is respected by many, including at least some of his rivals in this primary race. So it is good to have him here. Bob Diver, welcome. Thank you, Craig. Um, well, you're not a millionaire or a billionaire. Uh, you're not a state lawmaker or from Chicago. That would, at first blush, uh, appear to make your candidacy kind of a long shot. But how do you size up this race to unseat the millionaire incumbent Republican governor? Hard work, perseverance, and stick with uh, This is August. This is a long campaign. And uh, this will be a true test of endurance for all of us that are in this race. Uh, the one character that I have is that I've served in public office for uh, 22 years at all levels. And uh, to know uh, what it means to serve in, in public office and have been through the number of elections uh, that I have been through, I think, is an asset to my candidacy and helps you establish a pace of uh, making it to Election Day and being a winner. Well, and you would certainly have an advantage downstate, but uh, but I think uh, a lot of uh, political observers will point out that's not where most of the voters are. So how do the numbers work for you in this contest? Well, here's how we look at this. I uh, was well-received uh, this past uh, Monday evening uh, as I was in the 10th Ward here in the city uh, by residents, and each and every time I have an opportunity to participate in a, a forum, a gubernatorial forum in the city of Chicago, I have participated, and there's a growing number of residents in Chicago that are following my campaign very closely and showing great interest in it. Uh, many people like the idea that uh, I am not from uh, Cook County. I come from downstate. Uh, I present a conduit for this state to bring it together, to unite the state rather than divide it. Uh, that I see our current governor doing, and I think that's why we've became so polarized as a state, and we're growing to be more polarized as a society, and I hope to be able to diminish that, and I believe people are recognizing that about my candidacy. Does it make much of a difference to you? Uh, I know when you appeared before the uh, Cook County the Democratic uh, Central Committee, uh, you didn't expect 
to get their endorsement. But now that that uh, group of uh, Democratic committeemen has endorsed J.B. Pritzker, how much of a difference does that make for the road you have ahead of you? Well, it, it changes the path somewhat in the, those who are party loyalists as to uh, where they will cast their support. But everyone needs to realize that uh, in this gubernatorial race, uh, it will be the people who will make the final decision. And as you reach out in neighborhoods and you establish uh, neighborhood organizations, um, those individuals will help you get out the vote, help you get to meet the voters, and and help you as well. So, you know, I respect the endorsement process. Uh, I respect... uh, uh, the opportunity that I got to appear three times in front of that slating committee. And uh, I think everyone in that room realized that Bob Diver's got a good sense of humor. And uh, I, that goes a long way with people. And I'm a realist. And I knew what I was coming into from the start, uh, which didn't uh, encourage me not to pursue forward. And it doesn't at this date either. Um well, one thing that any campaign needs is money. Are you raising enough money to get your message out or getting enough support from maybe downstate uh, Democratic leaders that, uh, that that can help you in that regard? We continue with fundraising efforts uh, each and every day. We are not raising millions of dollars, uh, as some individuals would hope to, and we, we would be uh, very uh, gracious if we got to that benchmark. But we're raising enough money that we've kept this campaign moving forward now, going into its sixth month. And that's something that I think a lot of people are surprised that I've been able to do. And uh, we have anticipation we'll continue to raise enough money to get ourselves on the ballot, to get the signatures we need, and to then formulate a a viable campaign that will take place from in January and February onto the March 20th primary. And like you said, it's going to take hard work and perseverance. So let's talk about why you would even want to enter such a crowded field. Well, I declared my candidacy on uh, February 13th. I was the third individual to enter the race uh, shortly following uh, candidate Kennedy. Uh, I entered this race because I saw what was taking place in Illinois, uh, in that downstate Illinois was becoming more red and it was becoming more difficult uh, to attract uh, Democratic votes, and there was getting to be a greater fall-off. I always say that what happened in 2016 in downstate Illinois was the Trump tsunami. It came through and swept Democrats uh, over to the Republican side. So when the storm settled, uh, you know, there is an opportunity to emerge as an individual that will stand up and say, hey, uh, I will be the person that will try to bring back to the middle class democratic values in this area and try to get those values uh, respected again and work uh, diligently uh, to uh, connect Illinois and to have the next governor be a Democrat, which I think is so important for the middle class. Uh, That is what I think is really lacking at this time. Uh, that uh, we have uh, affluent people in the executive branch of government, and I just believe that we would do much better as a state for creating jobs, uh, for our tax system, uh, for working men and women in the state if we had a true middle-class person, someone as myself who's been a teacher. I've been in public education 38 years, 
Uh, I've been a school administrator. I, I grew up in a farm family and am proud of the fact that we own that family farm today. I've been a local elected official serving working class people and understanding individuals who are in need. You know, a lot of people in Illinois don't realize the good work of township government in rural Illinois because there's so much discussion about eliminating it. But it's it's the townships that provide people in rural Illinois that are living in poverty with general assistance and emergency assistance to keep their power on, to keep their water running for their children and them to have uh, a sustainable life. So those are things that I bring uh, a working knowledge as a middle-class person uh, that most Illinoisans are like. And when you have a person like that in the executive branch of government uh, making the decision that affects everyday life of working people, it's different than when you have an individual in that position who has came from affluence that doesn't understand the impact, for example, that maybe uh, the soda beverage tax in Cook County has today. Um, you know, an individual showed me uh, a comparable uh, receipt of, of soda purchased here and purchased elsewhere, and uh, it was a phenomenal difference for a person who a $20 bill makes a big difference to. So you're definitely against that tax, even if the county itself says it needs the money? Uh, yes, I am. And in fact, I will make a statement about that uh, by Monday. Uh, um, how, And I mean, if, as someone who's been at the county level, how does a county meet its, its, its obligations to provide the kinds of services that you were just talking about uh, if it can't do a property tax, because frankly, if, if there's anything that's going to cause more rebellion than the pop tax, it's a property tax hike, and people don't seem to want layoffs either. What, 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 should, what should Cook County do? Well, I don't have the magic answer because I don't control the budget. So, but if I, if I was to analyze that, first of all, I think long-term planning on budgets is critical at any time when you're facing um, a possible financial crisis. And that's it. emergency reactions to financial hardships often come with immediate tax increases. So I think a, a long-term projection on where you're at is, is very important. Uh, the second thing is, is that uh, I really believe that uh, looking at uh, revenues uh, that could be perhaps collected uh, on different sources other than specifically individual products would be more reasonable. Um, you mentioned the Trump tsunami that uh, that swept a lot of Democrats uh, out or, or over to the Republican Party. Um, lately, we have had kind of a tsunami of controversy surrounding the president. How much do you think that is going to affect the uh, the red votes downstate? Well, I, I believe the current um, incident that took place in Charlottesville was completely unacceptable by our standards. And I do believe that, um, you know, moderates uh, are going to look at uh, Democrats as being uh, more formable candidates uh, in the future. Uh, and I think President Trump's actions have been uh, detrimental uh, in his party, and I think that's why there are some Republican Party leaders that are condemning the president. Uh, I want to turn to uh, 
another issue, at least to start off uh, here, um, and, and it's the issue on which, frankly, you've uh, made quite a, a, a name for yourself, even at the, uh, the at the forums. Not surprisingly, and that's education. Um, talk to me about how you feel Governor Rauner has handled the issues surrounding education funding. Well, I think it's been done very poorly, and I'll tell you specifically why. <clears throat> because the governor had the entire session to present a funding proposal if he had one to present. And here we are weeks before some schools are going to start and in the start of school in the region that I represent. And so we should have had from him a proposal to consider last March. And as governor, that's what I would present. Rather than wait for a bill to have been passed, which was passed through the Senate, was passed through the House of Representatives, presented to him to sign which had something in it for all of Illinois uh, and all the children in Illinois, and then for him to uh, veto this bill, which I think was unacceptable. It was unacceptable for the needs of Chicago public schools as well as downstate schools. And uh, I I think the governor should have left politics out of this, which I think he brought in, and and he places the blame uh, and tries to divide the state and says that this is a Chicago public school bailout to turn people downstate um, away from uh, Chicago public schools. And inadvertently, uh, the reason that Senate Bill 1 did pass was was that it did provide something for all students in the state. So therefore, legislators from the city voted for it. And, uh, you know, we need to look at education funding through a complete different lens than the governor's looking at it. And I look at it myself is that, I don't care if a, if a student is residing in Chicago or is residing in uh, any part of downstate Illinois. A student in Illinois has the same value, and they all should receive a quality education. And until you have someone of that mindset and we get away from this divide, uh, are we going to really move education funding forward? Do you believe, as the governor said, that Chicago was getting too much money and because what the governor said and he said it frankly on this program uh was that district superintendents or and i assume maybe regional superintendents too have gotten used to getting crumbs from chicago and that's why uh school district officials local school officials like you were willing to go along with it and he's standing up for you well i i don't believe he's actually standing up for anyone uh in this case um, I don't believe Chicago public schools were getting too much money, and I'll tell you specifically why. Uh, uh, volunteers that uh, support my candidacy uh, have uh, children that go to Blaine Elementary School in the north side of the city. And can, can you imagine that this past year they had to do private fundraising in order to keep all their staff? So we, we can't begin to talk about uh, uh, more than adequate funding has taken place in a city when you are doing uh, fundraising to keep people employed in your school district. And I shared uh, that story with downstate superintendents, and they, they said to me, really? And I think there's a misnomer amongst residents in the state between the inner schools, the inner city schools of Chicago, which are CPS, and the Collar County, more wealthy suburban schools that have high property tax values. So... Um, uh, no, I do not believe Chicago public schools are overfunded or that downstate schools are getting crumbs. 
You're listening to WBBM News Radio's At Issue. I'm political editor Craig Delamore. My guest is Bob Diber. He is the Madison County Regional School Superintendent, uh, and he is a Democratic candidate for governor. Uh, another school question here. First off, what do you think is going to happen as the House uh, acts on the governor's uh, amendatory veto that substantially changes Senate Bill 1? Well, you know, there was a bill that failed that was that was called just this past week uh that was an alternative funding bill so i i look uh for there to be some ongoing debate but i believe eventually you're going to see the votes come to the house as as we're in the senate to override this veto because it is um, a mandate that this is going to have to happen to adequately fund our schools and i want to make this statement about this uh, measure that residents understand, uh, Senate Bill 1 had uh, some controversy in it. It had controversy here in, in the city of Chicago and had controversy in downstate. I want listeners to know that because initially this bill uh, was not looked favorably by any district in which uh, they had uh, high equalized assessed valuations. But... Um, the amendments that were made to the bill made it a more friendly piece of legislation and and it's a starting point and we need to look at senate bill one as a starting point not a final means of funding our schools and that from the from what we take from this bill we will work to continue to improve uh the way that we equally and equitably fund public education in illinois Let's bring it down to the classroom level before we move on to something broader, and that is what would happen in your district, your region, uh, if this amendatory veto is not overridden? In other words, what's in the governor's amendatory veto? How would that affect your district? Well, I have an emergency meeting uh, this coming Wednesday with my district superintendents, as how we are going to um, financially manage things in the next 30 days. So we do have districts that will have a difficult time making payroll after October 1st. The way that we are uh, making payroll uh, in in this month and going into September, we've uh, had a meeting with our county treasurer, and we're going to do an emergency appropriation of a property tax distribution in September. So we're moving up. A property tax distribution. Uh, we're doing two distributions: one September 12th and one on September 20th, which uh, enables districts uh, to meet payroll. Now, if we get into October and we do not have one general state aid payment, um, that will give our districts 30 days uh, time to pass additional working cash bonds, look at tax and participation warrants. Uh, that we can move forward, that hopefully this issue would be resolved sometime in the fall. Uh, I do not want to think about this uh, after the end of the first semester because we could see schools that would not open maybe going into the second semester. But if the governor's plan went into effect, would your district do better? Well, that's, uh, I think, superficial proposal. Because, uh, you know, first of all, there's a shortfall of revenue in Illinois. So uh, magically, all of a sudden, uh, he is touting that he's going to take this money from CPS and give it to them. Which uh, then, you know, you're going to have a problem in um, 
in Chicago public schools, just like we're talking about downstate, as to how they are going to solve their financial crisis. And first and foremost, I don't believe the governor's proposal will ever get through the General Assembly. Hmm. Well, let's uh, move to uh, another a broader issue, and that is the, the state budget, which the state does, now does have a budget. But uh, Governor Rauner is still pushing for what he says are needed reforms. He says local governments and school districts need the power to limit public employees and teachers' unions' bargaining power if they want to spend their money more efficiently and have more money. How do you feel about that? Well, uh, it's not very favorable. First of all, I was a a former local union president, Uh, so I, I understand the significance of public sector unions because of my background of being in the classroom 28 years. So whether you're a member of CTU, Chicago Teachers Union, or Illinois Federation of Teachers, or the Illinois Education Association, which are the three teacher unions that represent uh, all public school teachers in Illinois, uh, there is a great value of being able to sit down and negotiate those the contracts for your benefits uh, and for your salary, and to have the ability in incidences where grievances need to be brought to the attention of administrations because of conditions or how a particular person may have been treated in the workplace. So, you know, I don't believe the governor understands this. And and this is something that is so important for the general public to realize, and it's what I had spoken to early in the program. Uh, When you have someone in the the executive branch that has never done public service in his life, uh, been a businessman, uh, made billions of dollars, and is focused upon building a capital empire, and then begins to make decisions of people who have devoted their life to public service by making such statements, it diminishes, uh, in, in some people's mind, the credibility of, of teachers. Uh, it's it's a personal insult to a teacher to say to them, hey, we don't, we don't think you deserve any more. You know, you should work uh, for what you have been working for, or we will decide what you're worth. You know, first of all, I will tell you, I don't believe teachers are paid enough. Uh, and the litmus test, whether you believe I'm I'm right or not, um, ask any person who is uh, uh, has a four-year degree what they want their starting income to be, and compare that to a starting teacher's salary. And then take an individual who's never taught for uh, uh, an entire week and put him in a classroom who's worked another line of uh, worked another line in life and and see how they like the job because it, it can be very grueling because you know I always say this that people who do not work in public education uh, do not understand I call it you live by the bell and uh, and so you are timed and if we ran everything in America by a bell we would be a very efficient workforce <laughs> Well, um, as far as the broader economy is concerned, uh, first off, do you believe House Speaker Michael Madigan's power has been, as the governor kind of argues, that that's what has kept this state stagnant, uh, that he, he, is the, he is a roadblock to real progress for the state? Well, first and foremost, you know, it astounds me that the governor says things like this when Illinois is the fifth largest economy in North America. 
And Mike Madigan has been a Speaker of the House uh, for for decades. So, you know, I, I don't believe Illinois continues to be this large economic engine. Uh, uh, and you 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 can't you can't have have it at this particular level and and say we've we've done terrible uh, under his leadership. Uh, you know, there are people who say to me each and every day when I'm out uh, campaigning about how how do I feel about. Uh, you know, term limits is Mike Madigan served too long. Uh, he that continues. Was be my to get, next question. Yeah, I understand he continues to get reelected, and you know, I, I look at term limits and and I support them to a degree. I, I support leadership term limits, um, and I would I believe in self imposed term limits, which I've said on myself. You know, if I if I become governor, I'll serve two terms. I'll get the job done. I'll move on with my life. And and I think in uh, in leadership capacities, an individual serves for a period of ten. 10 years, that would be five terms. As Speaker of the House, they ought to be able to really accomplish a task uh, at stake, uh, leave a legacy for themselves. And if they want to continue to serve in the legislature, fine. But I think the real real issue here is uh, is leadership term limits. Um, let's go to a couple of other uh, issues in the time we have, which is not a lot. Uh, first, uh, violence. And while Chicago is the is the perhaps the centerpiece for it, but what can be done about the numbers of people who are shooting and killing each other on Chicago streets? What can be done about guns that are flowing into a number of areas in Illinois? Well, Craig, let me let me say this: um, we aren't going to resolve this violence problem fast because this problem developed over a period of time, and we became a more violent culture. Um, the last five years, uh, I it, it's it's highly disturbing. So how do you correct this? Uh, I believe you have to have an approach to where you have to have conversations with young people. You know, when we have thirteen to eighteen year old young people taking one another's lives, uh, there is a serious issue in our society, and we we have a. Um, we, we don't value life to the fullest as, as we did even a decade ago. And so to curtail the gun violence, I think we need to develop uh, conversations with young people through community leaders who mentor them. And I began a program a year ago. We, we had a young, young man shot in, in Alton by a drive-by shooting, 11-year-old boy, uh, mistakenly shot, uh, and, and highly disturbed me. And I asked the question, you know, why would such action be done? And I began a program called Give 30, and I would encourage listeners to, to view this uh, online uh, at give30.net, which I've asked individuals from corporate America, if they want to do something about violence, for them to step up, mentor young people in our schools that are at-risk youth, that may be the next person that's going to commit a crime. Give them hope. Give them encouragement. Explain to them right for wrong. And give them the option of how to do the right thing in life. Have a positive outlook on a career they might pursue. Uh, because violence leads you down to one path, and that's incarceration or death. Um, should these corporate people be giving them jobs, too? Because that's another issue. That's that facing. that could be very much part of mentoring. Bring, bring them into their business. Let them uh, experience a good life that they may never have seen before and have constructive conversations with them. Uh, and yes, employment. 
you know, if you have a choice of, of a good-paying job or being involved in, in a uh, crime-ridden activity, uh, you definitely would, would choose the more positive. But I don't think a lot of young people see hope. And uh, this hope has to be resurrected in our, in our cities. And it's got to begin with our young people. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.